Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Football Social Daily. Hello and welcome to the Football Social Daily. While Arsene Wenger can only dream of a World Cup every two years, here we turn out a new Premier League podcast every single day. And when I say we, today that means I'm joined by Man City fan up in Scotland, Callum Tyler. Good morning, hello. And Marley Anderson, who says I can introduce him however I want. So, he's a little bit grumpy. Oh right, is, is that what we're going for this morning? And <laughs> all right then, okay, that's how it's going to be. That's how it's going to be. Uh, and we'll find out uh, quite why uh, when we look in the second half of the show because his team aren't having the best start to a season again. Anyway, my name is Ant McGinley, and on this episode, we're going to be looking at the five teams still without a win in the Premier League. We're trying to figure out what Thomas Tuchel uh, knows about Pep that nobody else does, and we'll also be talking wrestling. But we begin today with one question. And that question is, is Harry Kane broken? Is he on strike? Is he still tired from the Euros? Or is he just getting used to playing a different role under a new manager? He got his first goal of the season in the Carabao Cup midweek, but still no goals in the Premier League, very few shots, and quite an important game coming up this weekend. So, Callum, as a fellow Man City fan, and... uh, were you excited at the prospect of Kane coming to the Etihad? I was probably a bit lukewarm on it, to be honest. Uh, just oh. gi- just given his age, and uh, I couldn't really... I'd never seen him as a kind of Pep-type player, although the stories suggest that, that Pep was considering him as the kind of complete player, final piece in the jigsaw and all that stuff. But I just thought it would have been a lot of money to spend on someone at that age... Um, and someone who, as he's proven right now, can sometimes suffer a dip in form. He scored 160 plus goals for Spurs, and only five of them have ever been in the first month of the season. So obviously, there's the kind of the psychodrama of whether he was going to go to City or not, and that's surrounding this at the moment, which probably makes life much more difficult for him. But it's um, it's kind of par for the course that Kane starts a season very slowly. He's sort of done it pretty much every season he's been at Spurs. Uh, when you said psychodrama, I had a flashback <laughs> to Psycho, as in Stuart Pearce, and those weren't good times at Man City. An abs- uh, absolute legend of the game, playing <laughs> David James up front, uh, if anyone remembers that. <laughs> well, right now, you might have... John John Macken's still absolutely fuming. <laughs> right? I, you know what? John Macken is... is If I was going to get a tattoo of one player, it would be John Macken, <laughs> just for that 4-3 win over Spurs yeah. uh, in the FA Cup going way back then. Uh, Marley, uh, you've got a, a couple of fairly decent strikers up at Newcastle now. Um, <laughs> I'm just I'm just being nice before we, we let into you later on. Uh, you look at you look at Kane. I mean, his record's undeniable. You know, the, you kind of go through the, the the last five or six seasons. He's been untouchable. Uh, last season, most assists and uh, winning the Golden Boot again. Um, do you think he's? Do you think it could be that he's just not happy, or, or do you think it's just that he's just struggling to get back into to form? He's a kind of player that relies on that sort of consistency 
Yeah, um, when I look at the sort of situation, you would you would expect him to not be happy. You know, he, he wanted to go to Man City this summer. He wanted to go. He probably would would have took a move to five or six clubs had they been interested. It wasn't just Man City, but you know, he ended up staying, and that obviously what was what he didn't want. But you know, he's professional enough to get on with it. He's he's not uh, someone who'll, who'll just completely down tools and and uh, you know give up and look like he's not trying. But I feel like it's only a matter of time before he goes. Well, it's the same old at Spurs. You know, when the when they're playing poorly, when they're getting smashed three 0 by Chelsea last uh, last week, because you know Chelsea's manager had the the tactical nous to sort it out at half time and, and knew what needed to be done to win the game, and Nuno Santo didn't do anything and and slept walked into a, a three 0 defeat. So I feel like it's only a matter of time before Kane goes. Boh, bloody hell! It's just it's this again. It's rinse and repeat. We we look good one week and then we get smashed the next week, and and it's clear that there's a chasm between us and the the teams that are. Um, chasing the title, so with with that you you can understand it a little bit, but ultimately you know you you've got to get on with it, and you know it's you've got another three months till the window opens again. I can't see Man City buying him in January for for huge you know the, the huge fee hundred million plus whatever it might be. I can't see them going and spending that in January, but we'll have to wait and see. But in in terms of his performances. I feel like he's just trying to do too much because he knows that the team is not that good. There's there's no massive, obvious playmaker there. Um, Son's more of a finisher. Kane's obviously, you know, he could call himself the best finisher in the world if he if he did just purely finish like someone like Lewandowski does. But you you see him floating around the pitch trying to pass it because he's also one of the best passers. He's one of the best playmakers, but that relies on somebody else getting up front and, and scoring the goals and when that doesn't click it just looks like Kane is, is wandering around trying to find his identity a little bit and trying to find trying to plug gaps that that are clearly there through through coming through that uh, the, the rest of the Spurs players aren't as good as him and he has to feel like he does everything himself. I did have an interesting conversation with a Spurs fan during the week who was saying actually it's not so much that we don't play well without Kane it's when we don't have Son that's when mm. we really struggle. But I just want to pick up on what you were saying about the likelihood of the January transfer window. And Callum, for me, this is very evocative of the situation with Riyad Mahrez. Mm. It was, uh, before he came to the Etihad, the story of the summer was all about uh, City bringing him from Leicester. It didn't work out. And then he effectively sulked uh, for a couple of months. Um, his head was turned. He didn't want to play. Um, it was a very... <sighs> almost Carlos Tevez situation for mm. a while. Um, but then, of course, the window opened and he ended up uh, coming. My, my question is, I suppose, does this devalue Kane? Like, I mean, I know, I know we're really jumping ahead. We're only five games in and he's missed the first couple as well because of the Euros. But, you know, it, if he's going to play lackluster, when you, when you say about being professional, you know, it actually, the professional part is turning up to training, playing the game, um, it's not necessarily scoring, although obviously that's something that he wants to do. Do you think that City will be able to come in and offer less if uh, Kane has only got a couple of goals by the time we get to January? It's a funny one, isn't it? Because um, he's kind of in a he's kind of in a catch twenty two on the on the face of it. And I know football doesn't really operate like any other business, but if he the, the worse he performs, 
yes, his value will drop, but then his value will drop, and then Man City will see less value in him potentially. So it's a it's a risky game. I, I've always thought surely the best way to get a move is to absolutely bang the goals in and, and show that you're too good for the team where you are. But I think the the kind of the sort of special kind of element here that that makes this a bit different to every other transfer saga is Daniel Levy and how how much Daniel Levy will want to to kind of grind his feet down and, and he w- it's, it's going to become a war of attrition if if Kane's form continues I still can't see Levy buckling because that was a huge win for him personally has kind of vindicated everything that he's ever thought about business and how he's run Spurs in the summer was was holding on to Kane and I actually think he might be, he might be the sort of person to cut his own nose off to spite his face and and not not even let an un, underperforming Kane go in January so it's a tough one. I think the the Mara situation is an interesting comparison, but I don't think I don't think we were dealing with the same kind of owner um, with Leicester, mm. who are probably being. I feel like they're actually a little bit more pragmatic and went well. If he's going to sulk, let's cash in. Um, but I'm not sure that Levy would want to undo the good work he feels he's done himself this summer. Um, so yeah, it's. I mean, it'll be an interesting one. But I, but again, come January, Kane's six months older. Come next summer, he's a whole year older, and you just go really this player at this age when there's there's you know younger much younger strikers in our team Ferran Torres and across Europe banging the goals in and I'm just still I'm still not convinced personally that he's the he's the answer to everything yeah I'm also reminded of those names completely gone out of my head that the West Ham winger that everybody was in love with and uh that then he suddenly decided he wanted to leave and uh yes Dimitri Payet he was he was proper sulky wasn't he (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, you know, we, we we say about it being professional, but in those situations, it's worked for those players. You know, they've they, they've they've been there. They, they've they've got themselves they've got themselves the move that they wanted ultimately mm. uh, by by sulking. I mean, uh, I I hinted at the beginning um, that you're a bit grumpy, um, Marley. Um, as a mm. Newcastle fan, you sulk quite a lot, but that doesn't seem to get you what you want. Are the other podcasts circling? Uh, no. Is that, is he's trying to angle you for a move to something else. <laughs> no other podcast would take me. Just the world's most miserable podcast with me, Marley Anderson. And welcome to another moan on a Thursday night or whatever. But no, it doesn't... Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a different situation, I suppose. But um, yeah, moaning... <laughs> but no, on a serious question, though... Just comes second nature. <laughs> but it seems to me that, that football really isn't about happiness anymore no it's about business and it's about you know it's certainly not about the happiness of the fans you know because from your point of view you know i'm pretty sure you know there's a huge proportion that would want to see uh, your owner sort of changed and moved on uh, although you're kind of stuck in this situation again but when it comes to the players again that the player's happiness isn't really um considered and i i, I just wonder if that's a problem or is it a system that works for the most part and if occasionally somebody gets upset about it well tough luck yeah yeah i suppose you know that's that is football these days i I suppose it's you know you have to have your eyes closed if you think that clubs do things for fans and only for fans you know what i mean so um it's it's been like that for years. It's, it's uh, there's, you know, money and and charts and graphs and projections, you know, run football now. It's not, it's not about uh, you know giving giving a city identity with, 
with uh, with their football club and, and making sure they come and, and support the team on a Saturday. It's hasn't been like that for for probably fifteen, twenty years. Um and obviously Newcastle are the perfect example of that because, you know, they've they've practically hated the the uh the club. Um it's weird I was thinking last night actually about um about supporting the team and, and I've not I've not been to St James's Park since like for a, well, for a while actually because I don't want to give my money to Mike Ashley and I don't support what 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 we're getting out like as a football club we're not getting anything that that makes me want to go and support them like we don't try and win games we don't try and sign players we've got some decent players that's fine but I feel sorry for them for, for the fact that they're not getting helped out by the club and stuff like that and I just think, like, for me, living in Manchester, going to going to Newcastle, it's a minimum of forty quid a ticket, and that's for a crap one with a with a, a bad view. So you're talking fifty quid for a good ticket, forty quid on petrol to get up there, and that's that's you know ninety quid, maybe eighty quid if you're lucky, and then you're talking your know, half time pie and a pint for twelve quid. You're talking over a hundred quid. Then you got to sit through ninety minutes of Steve Bruce's football, <laughs> and you just you end up driving back thinking, should I career into that central reservation because it'd be it'd be less painful uh, than watching that ninety minutes. So it's um, it's it, but it's been like that for about probably about eight or nine years now, um, and I'm thirty years old, so I've only been in a position where I can go and sort of afford and and go off my own back to a football game. For, for about eight or nine years since I came out of uni and got a proper job and you know had money coming in and it's never it's never been like that where I've just gone should, should I go to the match this weekend it's it's not it's not been a, a thing for me because I've been like well you know it's 110 quid 100 quid um and why why would I do that I'd ra- I'd rather go and sit uh somewhere else and watch uh, watching away game when Newcastle come to Man United and I've sat in Stratford, uh, the Stratford end last uh, last um December it was and watched us get beat four one at Old Trafford because it was easy. I got a ticket for free um off a friend who couldn't go who's a Man United season ticket to Porter. Um and just sat in the end and watched us lose four one with Matt Longstaff scoring <laughs> scoring our goal. So it's it's not about happiness for me anymore um as football and i don't think it is anyway i don't think it's for any club really i think i sorry i saw an amazing tweet the other day which was just like um it wasn't talking about football somebody had said i don't know anyone that's gotten into politics and became happier because of it and i do sometimes think football football's the same way um it's there's a like we all take it so incredibly seriously and that that does the root of that is because we love it and we love our teams and, and, and whatever. But yeah, it does it does kind of, um, we all become quite cynical and jaded. Just my final point on the, the Kane thing would be, I think this, I think situations like this is an inevitable tension because of the way that football works where it's not actually about the players, uh, what the player wants to do. That's very secondary to the fact that we've created a system where players are assets and they can be bought and sold. And it's not just the wages that you pay the player. You also have to pay the club to let them go and stuff. And it's just, it nothing else apart from professional sport and nothing no other sport apart from football quite works that way um, and we all love it and we all love the excitement of the transfer window but I think um, this is kind of the collateral damage is that sometimes players sign six year contracts uh, and then regret it Well Harry Kane will be looking to prove he's not broken as Spurs travel to Arsenal on Sunday afternoon and uh, thank you Marley because I was starting to worry that I'd been a bit um, harsh but uh, you proved very well though in that little monologue that you really are quite miserable I'm not sure any of the players we've discussed this morning would feel the price of a pie and pint as much as you do <laughs> okay 
Hey, I've been I've been to Man City. They, they served me a chorizo and bean pie once, and I thought football's changed. <laughs> That's it. Right. Uh, well, let's continue, in a sense, talking about Man City without talking about Man City, as a uh, big game tomorrow is Chelsea hosting the champions. Uh, so you've got the European champions hosting the Premier League champions, and Thomas Tuchel is approaching one year in the Premier League. He's got a 100% record against Pep in all competitions since he arrived. So, Callum, should people be calling Tuchel a genius uh, the way everyone liked to put that moniker on Guardiola? Uh, yes, they should. Um, I think Tuchel has been... Tuchel genuinely terrifies me, and not because he's got this very intense, very German look about him, and, and he kind of... <laughs> I, but he's got this kind of almost like robotic Terminator-esque drive and focus and, and, and calm. And, you know, if you're asking what the difference is between him and Pep, I think it. I think it's that um, Pep panics and overthinks in big games and Tuchel doesn't. And Tuchel, Tuchel keeps his cool and, and keeps to the plan and drills his players well enough. And, and he was lucky in the sense that, obviously what he's done since he came into Chelsea is incredible. He's lucky that he was following the kind of chaotic mess that was Frank Lampard. Um, but yeah, he's got, he's got an incredible squad, but you still have to get them to play. That's the thing we've always said about Pep and he just is... You know, he, he seems to be the next iteration of Guardiolaism, if you like. It happens to everyone that innovates is that eventually everyone else catches up and overtakes. And, and I feel like I feel like Tuchel, whilst maybe once he was a student of Guardiola, is, is now very much kind of on on the cusp of overtaking him. And um, yeah, he absolutely terrifies me. I, I would not be surprised if Chelsea hammer us at the weekend and go on to win everything there is to win this year. Well, seeing as you said he's Terminator-esque, he does have a very similar accent to Arnie, so I, I can really see that. Uh, Marley, what has uh, Tuchel got that Pep hasn't, apart from a, a good number nine? Um, I don't know. He, he, one thing he's got is probably the consistency of everybody knows how they're going to play every week and, and who's going who's gonna to play. Um, with with Pep, you know, there's always the um, uh, thing of like, oh, who's going to play up front this week, and who's going to, um, you know, who is who's going to be a victim of Pep roulette, as it's been called um, in in previous sort of seasons. But I don't th- I don't think there's too much between them, if I'm honest. I think they're both very very good tactically. I think Tuchel's took over the. Um, the the sort of reins of Chelsea with with his tactical um, approach. I think I can't remember him. Might be wrong on this, but I can't remember him playing three at the back at any any other club he's been at, either Dortmund or or PSG. And he came in. It surprised me when Chelsea started playing three at the back, but he might have looked at what Conte did um, and thought well, it worked then, so why can't it work now? Um, and the wing backs work perfectly for him because when you can dominate possession. Your wing backs become wingers, and you've you've got two or three in the box at all times. So it's always a a massive thorn in the side for whoever you're playing against. But I think with 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 him is he seems just to get Chelsea. He seems to get what he's got um, in the squad and, and get get the best out of them. Especially when he signed Lukaku, he was he sort of, certainly feels like the missing piece, um, and he's got loads of different ways of playing if he needs to. You know, there's there's players on the bench like Pulisic and Ziyech and um, Hudson Adoy and and plenty of others. Werner's not playing, but could still do a job if he got a bit of confidence. So there's plenty there for Chelsea, um, and I think that's maybe what's 
just possibly making them slight title favourites ahead of Man City because Man City haven't had um, the the summer where they go and sign a striker where you're scared of them every week. You're thinking, you know, can Torres do it for a full season? Can Jesus chip in with 15, 20 goals? And there's still question marks over them, whereas there's more sort of full stops with Chelsea. They will score goals. They will be hard to beat at the back because they've got three fantastic centre-backs. They've got probably one of the best goalkeepers in the world right now in Edouard Mendy, who's been brilliant. Um, so there's a lot to, uh, to to fear when you play Chelsea and it's, it's a huge game for Man City this week because if they can beat them this week, I think it's just a reminder that City aren't aren't done with this title. They're not, they're not going to be knocked off their perch that easily. Yeah, and it's a big week because uh, Paris Saint-Germain with a certain uh, front line up there mm-hmm in midweek and also Liverpool the week <laughs> after. I just want to pick you up on something that you said, Marley. Maybe I'll put this to Callum. You were saying about like how everyone seems to know what they're doing. I'm confused as to how he's done that so quickly because Pep's been at the Etihad for nearly five years. A lot of those players have been with him for a while now. Yet Tuchel's just short of a year at Stamford Bridge, but too long to put it all down to a new manager bounce. So is it you know, can you do you have any idea that like what's enabled him to instill that method? Maybe, perhaps, is it more simple than what Pep tries to do? Yes, uh, <laughs> I think no. I think um, <laughs> Pep, what Pep's suffering from, and what he's had at every club he's been at, where he's been at for three, four, or five years, is that you know everyone talks about how intense it is to work under him, and that players burn out, and that you know it's very hard to work at that level of intensity all the time. Um, and also, you know, Pep is constantly thinking, constantly trying to reinvent the wheel and, and constantly trying to stay ahead of the rest of football, which he is largely very successful at doing, right? But at the same time, that level of intensity and that level of effort and and players can't keep that up for, for five seasons on the trot. That's why you constantly need to refresh the team. You know, uh, competitors come and, come and go. Um, and it's, yeah, I think I think that's that's its kind of own issue. I think Tuchel might may have that if he stays at Chelsea for long enough. I think I think when he came in it was a unique situation where Chelsea had spent an absolute fortune and they'd assembled just an incredible squad of really talented players, which they've then since added to with the likes of Lukaku. Um and he kind of came in and and the problem with the, that squad was that they were so badly managed before. Um you know, it's like it's that thing when when the bar is low enough, you don't really have to do that much to clear it. And I think um Lampard, you know, every, we we think back to all the issues that he had there and, and how kind of I used the word chaotic earlier about it. That that's kind of what it was and he didn't really know what he was doing and he didn't have the authority and the gravitas that and the, the sense of calm that someone like Tuco has. You know, Lampard is seemed all the time to be led by his emotions and would have favourite players and would criticise the team in press conferences. And I think I think it's pragmatism and professionalism from Tuchel that has has done the job in this first season with a very talented set of players. The real test will be whether he can do it for the length of time that Guardiola does it without experiencing the same burnout. But I'd be surprised because I think that's when you're at the top of the game for that long, that really does become the issue. Mali, a lot of people, and I, th- I think with good reason, have said that Guardiola has changed English football for the better. Do you think Tuchel's got the potential to do the same? Or will he just make it more simple and take it back? Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's the he it can take it on further. Um, I feel like the bar's been set by by Guardiola and then even Conte before him. Um, 
and then sort of matched matched by by a select few other coaches. And I, I think Tuchel's certainly proved that he's in that class. He's in that um, this that discussion of you know world class elite managers that are that are um, going to improve any club they go into. So he's um, he's made a hell of a start. I mean, nine months in the job, and he's you know beat Man City three times. He's beat them in the Champions League final. I think it was an FA Cup semi final. Mm-hmm. I think he beat them in. Um, beat them in the league, but that was a dodgy one because I think Man City had a, a complete second team out. Um, and yeah, it's it's certainly something that you can't ignore when you when you go and you know everyone's talking about Man City being you know maybe the best team of in, in Premier League history if they carry on. And you come in and you make a statement like that, and you beat them three times in three different competitions, um, and you 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 really sort of go toe to toe with them. It's it's a huge statement, and um, I think. Tuchel's doing an amazing job, and he's he's harnessing the talent that's always been there at Chelsea. Um, and yeah, fair enough. I mean, this could be one of the best uh, title races we, we've had in in maybe ever in the Premier League era. Because you've got Liverpool into that mix as well. They might they might uh, challenge again, um, and we don't know where Man United are going to end up at the minute. But that's uh, an exciting one as well. So. Yeah, it's uh, it's nice for a for a, well, I say neutral, but you know somebody who's not involved in the title race to to look at it and uh, and go great. That's four teams that are going to batter us every week. So Chelsea take on Man City at home in the lunchtime kickoff on Saturday, which at the just looking at the present form will end up being one nil to Chelsea. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to turn our eyes to some of the teams scrapping it out down near the bottom of the table. Sports social. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily. I'm Ant McGinley, uh, Callum Tyler, Marley Anderson are still with me and uh, we've looked at some of the teams near the top. Let's look at uh, the bottom of the table and more specifically we're five games into the season, uh, match week six around the corner but we've got five teams that are still without a win. So let's try and offer some hope at least to one of them. So uh, I'm just going to ask both of you, which of those teams, and I'll list them for you, do you think is most likely to get a win first? Uh, so we've got Burnley, Leeds, Newcastle, Norwich, and Southampton. So, Marley, seeing as your, one of your, team, your team is one of those, uh, do you think, I mean, can you see any way of Newcastle being the first team out of those to get a win? Uh, I can, I can actually. Um, we've got Watford this weekend. And that is a game you can't you can't go into that game and say you know we'll take a draw. We've, you've got to go and try and beat Watford. Um, so in terms of of instant chances to to win uh, to win a game and get get that sort of monkey off your back and win the first game of the season, then I think that's uh, that's a huge chance and as good as if not better than than anybody um, any of the other teams that that you're looking at and saying you know who's gonna who's gonna win first because. You know, I think Everton, uh, Norwich go to Everton this week. Uh, that's not easy. Southampton host Wolves. That, that's half a chance. Um, who else have you got down there? You got uh, Burnley away at Leicester. Leeds at home to West Ham. They're they're not easy games. So, if you're looking at the the fixtures this week, I think Newcastle have got the best chance of going and beating Watford. Um, having well, although I was looking at the the result the previous results over the past years and we've actually never beaten Watford in the league in the Premier League era 
Um, we've not played much because they've usually been in the second tier, but um, every time we seem to play them, it tends to be a, a, a win for Watford by one goal. Or a couple of years ago when uh, when we had Salomon Rondon up front, it ended 1-1 at Vicarage Road. So it's not a, a place that's treated us too well um, over the years. But in terms of a chance, you can't you can't go into Watford game and, and say, oh, we'll be we'll be lucky to get a point there, or or we'd take a point. You've got to go and try and beat them. So I feel like that is probably where I would um, put my put my two pence with. Uh, Norwich are on a currently long run of uh, not winning, breaking records that they don't want to break. Uh, Southampton managed to get a point at the Etihad, which is a good result for them. Leeds are beset by injuries. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Burnley in a moment, but can you see any of those getting a win, Callum, this weekend? Which which do you think is the most likely is the best way to ask that question? Uh, well, this weekend, I think, was probably Southampton, isn't it? And uh, I think Southampton will be fine because... They've had they've they've drawn four games and they've only lost one. Um, they've drawn against United and they've drawn against City. They've only lost against a very good Everton team. And I think it's just when they start to get slightly easier opposition, all they have to do is turn those draws into wins. Um, and I think Leeds will be fine because whilst Southampton can kind of only defend well, uh, Leeds can only attack. I mean, Leeds' defence is an absolute nightmare in itself. But um, I think again they will they will eventually get the goals and get the wins that, that they need. Um, Excited to talk about Burnley, though. I feel like their time in the Premier League might be finally coming to an end. <laughs> Speaking of Burnley, let's move on to um, the the press conferences that happened, uh, some of them that have already happened. Uh, now, I've, I've mentioned that I have this podcast on the network called Wrestling with the Champ. I don't know if you two have listened to it yet. Not a wrestling fan, sorry. <laughs> Live date's coming to a comedy festival near you next year. Anyway, somebody else who's not a wrestling fan is Sean Dyche, who once again has been compared to Stone Cold Steve Austin in his press conference yesterday. Uh, He got quite annoyed about it. Uh, The journalist pointed it out as if he was the first person to ever say it, and Sean Dyche pointed out that he gets it about 4,000 times a year. Um... So, uh, it's, so it's Steve, Sean Dyche compared to Steve Stone Cold Steve Austin. And my question to you is, uh, just for a bit of fun at the end of the show, which Premier League players do you think would make a good wrestler alongside Stone Cold Sean Dyche? Adama Traore. He's oh, got yes. He's got his own. He's got his own like signature move as well with the the baby oil on the arm so that you can't grab him. Have you seen this? He, he, before no. games, but no. So when a Damatore is like warming up on the pitch, they put um, they put baby oil. This physio rubs baby oil up and down his massive arms. Um, <laughs> and the reason for this is he's he's one of the most fouled players because he's one of the quickest as well. And it's kind of the only way to stop him is like people try and grab hold of him and pull him back by his again massive arms. Um, and yeah, they've they've figured out that if if they, if they put baby oil on him, this is completely true. Um, people just bounce off him, just slide away from him. So he's kind of got his he's got a prop and he's got a special move and he's obviously an absolute unit. So he, he's the obvious choice for me. <laughs> wow. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't know that, but uh, that's the best reason I've heard for anybody <laughs> to have an excuse for rubbing baby oil. Yeah, I'm just going to rub this on you so that nobody can grab you. Yeah. Um, so who, who are you going to see in, in a matchup against Adama Traore, Marley? Who would you like to see taking that on? Um, I've I've got an answer that that might rile a few. Um, it could be Mo Salah because he's top. Uh, he's 
his uh, spin it, spinning move, his uh, finishing move could be diving off the top rope rather than diving in the uh, penalty Oh, you area. got there in the end, didn't you? <laughs> I did. I've stumbled over it a bit, um, but I got there. Um, but in terms of like past or present, you know, I, I'm thinking about Duncan Ferguson. Oh, God. I'm thinking... I don't know if Duncan ever knows that wrestling's fake, but if somebody tried to slap him, he'd just go through them and put them through the ring and put them through tables and all sorts. Thinking about them two burglars that uh, <laughs> that made the terrible mistake of burgling him, and one of them ended up uh, spending three days in hospital after they met the full force of an angry Duncan yeah, Ferguson. N- n- never mind professional wrestling. I reckon uh, Ferguson could make it in the uh, UFC. Uh, that guy is totally... I think he's too violent for him. <laughs> Uh, somebody, somebody I'd add into the mix possibly for that as well is, is Lukaku. Um, he's, I mean, he's, I know he's lost a little bit of the weight, but I think, you know, further on. And let's remember as well, this is not, it wouldn't be the first time that a footballer has made the transition. Do you remember Grant Holt? Oh, yes. I knew there yes. was someone. I knew there was someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he went on 2019. He, he's still, I think he's at Crew now as an academy manager, but he made the transition in June 2019. And he fought three matches, including winning a 40-man Royal Rumble. Uh, I think he only fought the three games undefeated, uh, which is more than you can say for his time at Norwich City. Uh, (laughs) That's... I think there was a there was that goalkeeper as well, wasn't there in Germany? Was Tim it Tim, Tim yeah, Feister? Yeah, 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 he yeah. was called. Yeah, and he was massive, like huge guy. But obviously, couldn't wrestle like and ended up back in back in football. I think. But there you go. Yeah. Well, the the, the way some people play, particularly in the defence, they they'd make it over. I think it's a good shout with Mo Salah as well because he kind of has that real sort of eighties wrestler's hair as mm. well. Which well, that's which the thing. Is, I was thinking about this, and, and you go to all the hard men, don't you? You go to like Vinnie Jones, who kind of became larger than life because of how hard he was. But that's not really what wrestling is. It's kind of a little bit more showbiz, isn't it? A little bit yes. kind of there's a little bit more glamour to it. So it's kind of a yeah. I think Salah's Salah's a good choice. <laughs> Robbie Savage as well for the <laughs> yeah. exact same reason. Oh yeah. Oh, Savage has got yeah. the hair yeah. but, no, and, and the name do- and the name. Yeah, he'd need he'd need to slick the hair though. That's what you yeah, need. You yeah, can't yeah. just have the hair like that. It needs to be wet. That kind of wet look and. Uh, He's he's already got uh, got form for losing fights. So I remember when Alan Shearer kicked him in the head. Uh, money well spent. If you uh, if you go if you buy a ticket and you see Shearer kick uh, kick Savage in the head, you 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 leave feeling very pleased. Yeah, I wonder what people think when the the promo for this episode is one minute of us talking about wrestling. Uh, that's it for today. Uh, there is a new show out tomorrow, looking ahead in detail uh, to all the games from the dugout. And then a review show on Sunday. And of course, there is a brand new podcast every day on this feed. So make sure that you have followed us. Thank you very much to Callum Tyler. Thank you. Enjoyed that. And uh, Marley, would you say you're feeling happier <laughs> than you were at the beginning? I, honestly, I treat this uh, treat this podcast as more of a therapy session <laughs> and less of a less of a podcast. So, you guys are my um, Jennifer Melfi, and I'm just Tony <laughs> Soprano, just v- ranting absolute crap at you, and, and then feeling better for it at the end. So, does that yeah, mean you're secretly in love with us? Absolutely, yeah. And he cries whenever he sees ducks in his yeah. uh, swimming pool. Uh, which means we're paying him too much if he's got a swimming pill. Uh, thank you very much, guys. Uh, that's it. I've been Ant McGinley, and uh, we'll see you on the next one. Find more great shows or join the team at sport-social.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network.